0: Hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Mark. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for your word, your word which has the power to give birth to creation, your word which makes deer give birth, your word which births life inside of us. I pray that you would do this this morning by the power of your spirit, restoring our souls, restoring our hopes, and giving us strength to follow your word. As you have revealed it to us in the scriptures, we pray this name of Jesus Christ, Amen. You know, when I was was in college, one of the many jobs that I had was um, working at an oil change place. And uh, there was one day when I was still pretty new into this job uh, that I was ended up there alone in an afternoon for for a couple hours. And they're like, "Hey, just you know, change the oil." Don't do anything silly. We'll be back in a couple hours. He says, all right, I got this, I can change oil. And uh, well, you know, one of the things they t- teach you is you gotta upsell, because it's all about the upsell and you, there's rewards if you get enough like upsells over one that month would get uh, rewards. This is why you don't let the oil change places upsell you. But, <clears throat> so I was trying to upsell somebody on something and they never say yes, because they're usually smarter than that. This one guy finally said, he said yes. He said, yeah, I want that service. He wanted a transmission flush. And I was like, oh, great. The only problem was I didn't really know how to do it yet. And uh, so what did I do? Well, I just faked it. And so I um, said, no problem, I'll I'll get to work on it. And so I'm trying to find the transmission line so I can tap our machine into it. Anyways, those details don't matter. I accidentally tapped into the power steering line. And if you know nothing about cars, you know that power steering and transmission are two distinct things. Anyways, the guy got a free uh, uh, power steering flush that day. And uh, we never saw that customer again after I put the things back together and so um, but in my in my overconfidence am I not wanting to look weak? Am I wanting to kind of look competent? Um, I faked it right I, I, am am I, am I wanting to appear strong and in control am I not wanting to look weak? I ended up in way over my head, and I think in this kind of short passage before us this morning, I think we see a similar Overconfidence, a similar flex of strength that they don't actually have on display. Right? Peter and the rest of the disciples are, are very confident, very confident in their ability to hold fast, to stay strong. Um, they're defiant in speaking about their, their strength. Right? And, they, and they come to find out at the, end of this, at, the, at the end of this night that they are not as strong as they think they are. And I think we've, we've probably all experienced trying to, trying to look strong when you're not strong. We've all tried to cover up our, our weaknesses. Well, why do, we, why do we do this? Why are we so worried about looking weak when we are weak? Um, and I, I think at least one of the roots of our overconfidence is fear. Uh, fear of our own weakness. Fear of being uh, needy. And why are we so afraid of being weak and needy? Because if we're weak, if we're needy, ultimately means that we're not in control i think this is a foundational struggle that you find even back in the in the garden right we we want to be strong we want to be in control and we want these things so bad that we're scared of looking weak and so we pretend to be strong even when we're not we're afraid of our weakness to us our weaknesses our neediness is is a lie liability And, you know, as we come to this text and they're moments away from Jesus being handed over to be crucified, Jesus, the good shepherd, continues to prepare his disciples for what's about to come. Jesus knows what's going to happen. The disciples are still pretty clueless. And here we find him preparing them for what is about to come in, in a little bit of a strange way because he sobers them up to their own weakness. So that when they experience it, it doesn't crush them. But so that they begin to understand what true strength is. And as Jesus sobers his disciples to the reality of of their weakness, he does so with us. So we too have have to confront our own weaknesses and neediness and our fear of weaknesses because it's only then that we can find true strength. And the question that begins to linger is this what if our weaknesses aren't our greatest liabilities? But what if your weaknesses are actually your greatest assets? And so as we consider this theme of, of weakness this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at three different things. First, we're going to look at the reality of our weakness, right? the fact that we are all weak. It's, it's, it's reality that we live in. We're going to look at the denial of weakness, which is that we all try to pretend that we're strong. And then last, we're going to look at the strength that's found only in weakness. So first, the, the reality of our weakness, the reality of our weakness. Look back with me here at verse 26. It says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So remember, they just had the Passover meal. A meal that's right bookended by the singing of the Hillel Psalms. This is Psalms 113 to 118. So that's what they're likely singing as they're going towards the, the Mount of Olives. And, you know, everyone's having a nice evening. Going for a post-meal walk. It's like a post-Thanksgiving walk. You know, you're full. You're happy. You're with family and friends. And it's a joyous occasion. And then out of nowhere, Jesus interrupts this nice stroll. This post-dinner stroll. And I'm sure which is very beautiful the Mount of Olives with this in verse 27. This is what he says. And Jesus says to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It's kind of an abrasive thing to say. Cuz imagine me meeting with you for coffee and I say, "Listen, you're going to fall away." Uh, it's an abrasive thing. It's kind of out out of out of the ordinary. He just says this, "You're going to fall away." And remember, he'd actually just recently predicted the betrayal of one of his own, right? He, he uh, Judas, right? And uh He says, Yeah, Judas is going to betray me. And we we know that Judas is doing that. And now, as they're having this nice evening together, he says, You're actually all going to fall away. He's he's not saying everyone's going to betray him. I think there's a difference between the betrayal of Jesus and the denial of of Peter, right? Betrayal is a a willful willful turning over of Jesus. Um, It's kind of, he's changing teams, so to speak. From being on Team Jesus, now he's on Team Satan. Uh, So the, the denial that Jesus is predicting is not speaking of him peter and the disciples changing teams but of their weakness to remain strong under the weight of temptation that's coming their way so jesus is saying listen that although not everyone's going to actually betray me in this moment none of you are going to stand through what is coming he's sobering them up to the reality of their their weakness their frailty they're going to fall and this, this word that we translate here as fall away is this word scandalizo, which is where we get our word scandalized from. And Jesus is saying more specifically how they're going to fall away is that they're going to be scandalized by Jesus. Which, think about this coming three years. And all the last three years of expectations that you had for me and my kingdom, it appear as if all of those were for naught. So it was a waste of time. They can't see it yet, but the death of Jesus is a scandalous affair which will cause them to lose hope. Not only are they weak, but it appears that their Messiah is weak too. And this causes them to fall away. To make this point, he quotes from Zechariah, which is what is being said here at the second half of verse 27. It says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You know, and Zechariah is the is the, the same prophet who actually described the Messiah as King riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, a and he's also speaking of a of a shepherd King whom God says He will will be struck down so that the people of Israel will be scattered as and, and put into exile as judgment for their sins. And I think one of the fascinating aspects about these final moments of Jesus' life is that none of what's happening is on accident. Right. God is the one who's actually orchestrating this. It's God the, the father and his divine sovereignty. He's the primary actor. He's the one that's actually doing the striking of the shepherd king. He's the one that's scattering the sheep. He's the one that's sending them into exile. And what Jesus is telling the disciples, his disciples too will go into an exile of sorts, just like the nation of Israel did in the time of Zechariah. And just like it is only against the backdrop of a, of a night sky that you can see the stars, it's really only against the backdrop of God orchestrating this entire evening that you begin to see our own weakness. That we are the weak ones. That we aren't in as much control as we think we are. We can't hold fast. Our faith is not strong enough. Our, our love is not complete enough. We are, we are feeble. We are frail. We are needy. Our, our loves are confused and wandering. You know, Jesus knows this about you. He knows this about all of us. And he he says what's about to happen, so matter of fact, he simply says, this is gonna happen, and then he says this, unprompted in verse 28. He says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is again another quite strange thing for him to say. He doesn't rebuke them for the weakness. He doesn't even say, you gotta hold fast, temptation's coming, hold fast. He says, no, you're gonna fall away. But after all this happens, when I'm raised up, I'll go before you, I'll meet you in Galilee. He's going to see them through their exile. I think there's a simple and profound truth here for us as we come face to face with the reality that we are weak, we are frail. And it's this that Jesus is not afraid of their weakness. And he isn't afraid of your weaknesses either. Jesus is okay with you being weak. The question is, are you okay with it? Are you okay being weak? Are you okay being the needy ones? We find out here is Peter was not okay with it. And this is where we move to the second thing we see about weakness here, is our de- the denial of weakness. The, the denial of weakness. And I think when we look at Peter here, we find all of us, right? There, and there's like two aspects uh, of Peter's denial here that I'm borrowing from others. And it's that he's, he's, he has both a, a naive and a stubborn sense of his own strength. Verse 29, we see his naive strength on display. This is what Peter responds with. He says, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. This is a naive strength, right? In the face of hearing Jesus talk about their inability to stand to what's coming, Peter jumps up and says, listen, all these other guys might fall away, but not me. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. And uh, this is naive because what, what he is saying is that, listen, I, I can't imagine this to be true of myself. He was naive about his own strength. He, he couldn't ever see himself getting so low of being in such a position that he might turn away from Jesus. And I think we actually think like this a lot. You know, when you hear someone's testimony, maybe about addictions, you think, oh, I can never imagine myself going down that road. Or hear stories about affairs or embezzlement scandals or you name it. And you think, well, man, I can never imagine myself doing those things. Well, usually people that are in those positions never could either until they were there. I think we have a naive sense of our own strength and of our own allegiance to Christ. We think we're stronger than we are. And then Jesus responds to Peter with this in, in verse 30. He says, and Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. That's where Jesus kind of doubles down. He, he gets more specific with him. He's saying, this, and what I'm telling you is this is not a theoretical thing. This is not a theoretical falling away. This is actually going to happen in a very specific way. And I'm going to tell you, and not only will you deny me, but you're going to deny me three times in just a few hours, actually from this moment, this happens where he denies him three times, emphasizing this denial was not just an accident. Peter wasn't just misspeaking, you know, saying, oh, is that, is that my friend on the cross? I don't know if that's him. I don't have my glasses. No, this is not just Peter misspeaking. He denies him three times. It's willful. His perceived strength and ability to hold on is about to get swept away. But Peter, being Peter, he doesn't concede even with that specific prophecy that's about to happen. Um, he, He responds with verse 31. He says this, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is where he gets to, he's got a stubborn sense of his own strength. He's emphatic. In fact, I think he's defensive when confronted with his own weakness. And this, he's actually calling Jesus a liar. He's like, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I have a strength. I'm strong. And he's defensive. And his his perceived strength is so stubborn and so overconfident that he, he thinks he knows better than the Savior he proclaims to follow. Peter thinks he is strong. I think we actually, too, get defensive with our own weaknesses when they're exposed. We deny them. We try to cover them up, it makes us feel naked and and when our weaknesses are exposed, we can wonder, uh, what do we have to offer if not our strength to the world? What worth can we have if we're weak and we're in denial about the reality of our own weakness, about the depth of our need and for many, the idea of a needy, weak Christianity is a foreign idea. We don't want weakness. Uh, and maybe we don't actually want a weak or dying savior either, because what strength is there in dying? And what Jesus is subtly challenging here is this. Until you recognize your weakness, until you recognize your inability to save yourself, until you can sing with David Psalm 59, but, but I will sing of your power, not my own, you can never actually have and find true strength. Our, our false bravado or pretending to be strong is not true strength. It's not lasting strength. In the same way, Jesus laying down his life for many on the cross is not weakness. Here, Jesus begins challenging our perception of strength. He won't let you live in denial. Because strength can only be found when we recognize our weakness and dependence. This is the third and final thing we see about weakness. That strength is found only in weakness. Strength is found only in weakness. I just want to look back for a moment at Jesus what's said in in reference to Zechariah. Uh, because, because we, here we find that the model for what it looks like to gain strength, right? The, the scattering of the sheep that happened in Zechariah was the scattering into exile. And exile was a means of purification and renewal for the purpose of return, right? The falling away is part of God's initiative and in the mission of the shepherd king. So exile exposes our weaknesses so we can accept the truth that we are needy people, And we can actually gain true strength. And there's actually symmetry between verse 27 and and verse 28 here. It's the striking of the shepherd results in the scattering of his sheep. So his resurrection will result in the regathering. This exile is is temporary. They were sent into exile to a place where they had to come to grips with their own weakness. And it was only there where, where, where a deeper strength was found because it was a borrowed strength. It wasn't their own. It was a dependent strength on their redeemer. It was only in going through a death. You know, Peter here, he says, you know, I'm going to die with you. Well, he is going to die. He's not wrong about that, but it's just not the death that he was expecting. But it was only in accepting their inability to save themselves and to hold on to Christ by their own power that, that they could find strength. A strength that's not their own, but Christ's resurrection power that goes before them and greets them in Galilee. You know, this resurrection strength... You can only find in weakness. You can't be raised with Christ until you die. The question is, are you ready to die? Are you you ready to accept your weaknesses? Are you you ready to admit that your faith is feeble and frail and not able to stand on its own? The strength that's being spoken of is is an upside down strength, right? The, The world that we live in tells us an opposite story about our strength and weakness, Right? The, the world that we live in tells us strength is found in your, in your health, in your abilities, and your bodies, and in your intellects, and in your bank accounts. It's, it's what can you produce. And it tells us to strive after these things as hard as possible to get stronger. So much so that any weaknesses in these areas is a liability for us. But what makes worldly strength weak is, is not that any of those things are bad in, in and of themselves. I mean, we start schools for the sake of our intellect, for growing and knowledge. We... We try to be strong, but the, what makes these things weak is that, is that they're all going to fade one day. One day, your strength will fade. One day, your intellect's going to fade. One day, your ability to do anything's going to fade. These things don't last. You might find strength in them for a while, but, but not, they're not lasting. Or there's only one strength that's eternal. There's only one strength that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And eventually, you have to come to grips with your own weakness, It's only in that place that you can find true strength. And this is what Jesus leads his disciples into. Because it was was when he was his weakest in earthly eyes, it's when he was his strongest. It's when he was beaten. It's when he was struck down, defeated, hanging on a tree, that his strength was on full display. Because through his crucifixion, through his weakness, he stripped the power of the enemy, destroying the bonds of death and rising to new life. And bringing redemption to the world through it. Right? There's, there's no resurrection without a crucifixion. Strength is found in weakness. The weakness of Christ brings salvation to the world. The, the cross redefines strength and weakness. A symbol of, of mockery becomes a symbol of our hope in Christ. And for us to follow him, we too need to follow the way of the Christ, uh, the way of the cross to die, to die to ourselves and be raised with him. Your, your weakness, we find, is not a liability, but it's actually your greatest asset. When he was weak, he was strong. And in, in your weakness, you find strength because it's only there that you learn to depend on Jesus to be your strength. You know, Paul puts it brilliantly like this in 2 Corinthians 12. It reads this. It says, so to keep, me from becoming conceit, conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me, but he said to me, listen to this. He says, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Right? It's because it's only when we recognize our weakness that we can begin to trust in God's power. Right? And he goes on to say this, "'Therefore I will boast all the more gladly "'of my weaknesses, "'so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. "'For the sake of Christ, "'and I am content with weaknesses, "'insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. "'For when I am weak, then I am strong.'" "'When you are weak, then you are strong.'" Your, your neediness, your weakness is actually the very thing that qualifies you for the gospel. Not your strength. Not your talents. Not your skill sets. So what does this mean for us? What does this look like? How, we, how might we live if, if we too boasted in our weaknesses? Well, I think for one, it, it redefines what Christian community looks like. Right? Instead of coming together and pretending to be fine We can come together and actually be honest about struggles and anxieties. We can actually be honest about the sins that we struggle with. And to each other, we can apply the balm of grace. It's like you struggle with sin? Great. Jesus came to save sinners. Your sin is the very thing that qualifies you to be saved by Jesus. Your weakness makes you strong. It means that, that when God blesses us with resources and generosity, and generously, we generously share them because we understand it's not our strength that gave those to us. It's not our own intellect, but nothing we have is truly ours, but it's given to us so we might share it. It means that even when we experience affliction in the body and mind, we see those as opportunities to grow in dependence. This strength, weakness paradigm changes everything for us when we lean into it. And it really flips the world upside down as we know it on its head. Even now, I think many will lament the state of the church in the West and there's much to lament about. But what if if the church is actually experiencing an exile, so to speak? What if we're experiencing a death so that we can too be raised to new life? It's actually in our weakness that Christ is perfected in us. And make no mistake, Boasting in weakness does not make us soft and limp Christians. Paul boasting in his weakness, he was anything but a soft, limp Christian. Boasting in our weaknesses is, is simply boasting in the strength of Christ. It's saying that I am nothing without him. And then it sends us boldly into the realm to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, knowing that the, the worst thing that the world can do to us is mock us and murder us. Which even if they do that, it helps us identify more with our Savior. Boasting in him. And in his strength and power all the more, true strength is found in our weakness. Because it's only in our weakness that we can embrace the power of Christ. You know, I've never been a big podcast guy. I try. Every now and then I'm successful. One podcast I used to listen to a decent amount was called How I Built This. And it's, uh, it's about entrepreneurs who started different businesses and, and various things like the story of Airbnb and, and other things that I forget um, are told there. And one trend you pick up on real quick after you've listened to a few of their stories of how they grew to be a successful business uh, was, was that all these successful businesses and ideas were born out of accidents and failure. And when you start to see that trend, you, you quickly begin to understand that It's not the talents or the giftings that led to success. It's actually their failures in humility that led to their successes. And I think this, this principle, actually, of strength and weakness is actually, I think, true in the physical world as well. It's, it is in the pruning of branches that, that the, the tree is made healthy. It's in the tearing of muscles that strength is built. I think our challenge is weakness often feels like a failure to us. I should have done more. I should have studied more. I should have read more. I should have held on. I should have been stronger. But when you begin to look at the world that God created, weakness is actually an opportunity to find strength. Weakness is a pathway to success. And as a community, this is what we're called to do together, to walk together in our weaknesses, to walk together and growing in our dependency on the mercies of God, strengthening each other in the gospel as we practice the gospel together in everyday life. May we be a church like that. May we be a people who boast in our weaknesses, who aren't afraid of those things. And in that, may we walk boldly in the strength of the Lord wherever he takes us. Pray with me. Holy God, we give you thanks for your mercy, your mercy which endures forever, your grace upon grace, your love for us, your children. Help us to follow you. Help us to walk in the strength of Christ. Help us to boast in our weaknesses that we can rest in hope in you alone. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.